we have been looking at, we started looking at the book of James last week and we will continue doing that. James chapter 1 verse 9 to 18. And um, as you can see from the title, it's about trusting in God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Just a bit of the, the context uh, before we go in, um, just as a reminder. Uh, this is a very immersive image of the Roman Empire that uh, I found on the internet. I thought this would help us to get in the zone uh, of the, the context of uh, the book of James. So uh, if you remember from last week, uh, we, met, we saw that James was the brother of Jesus. And he was writing to believers and to Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who were scattered all across the Roman Empire and beyond. Um, the Roman Empire was uh, a very cosmopolitan, uh, filled with people from different contexts, different backgrounds, and Christians were scattered across these uh, the vast lands of the Roman Empire. And also we find that they were persecuted by the Roman authorities, by the Roman Empire. Um, they were sent to different, uh, Christians were scattered to different colonies and they experienced uh, persecution, experienced uh, kind of uh, challenges wherever they went. We also saw that from the book of Acts, uh, the followers of Judaism also persecuted Christians. It was not just the Romans, but it was even the followers of Judaism who persecuted Jesus, uh, persecuted the followers of Jesus. Because they thought that Christians were simply a cult, kind of a breakaway group from Judaism. But they thought that they were a divergent, divergent radical group, and so they were persecuted by followers of Judaism as well. And we saw that in, in the life of Paul. Um, so Roman Empire, during the time that the book of James was written, uh, around 45, 50 uh, to 60 AD, was a very interesting place to be. It was a very interesting culture. It was a, a hot, hot pot of different kinds of cultures. Uh, it is said that the, the Roman Empire at its peak were stretched from the borders of India to uh, Britain, right? So all mix of cultures and people group, languages and religions. And so the, the, all these religions and deities from different, different places were incorporated into the official Ro Roman religion. Uh, and local religions, local gods would be incorporated into the what they call the pantheon or the, the range of gods that were worshipped in the Roman Empire. And these gods, local gods, would be rebranded under the Roman system, okay? And so what used to be a local god would be rebranded as part of the Roman uh, religious system, uh, essentially polytheism. Um, and of, of course, besides that, there's also the imperial religion where the emperor, Roman emperor, is regarded as divine, right? He's worshipped. So if you look at this picture, I'm not sure how clear, clear it is at, at your end, but there's all kinds of things going on here at the right corner, there's a worship of uh, the Greek god. On the left, in the bottom, there's an emperor uh, sitting in a uh, in an elevated place. In the middle of the foreground, there's uh, what seems to be a Christian lady who is being persecuted, about about to be uh, executed. So it seems. Uh, just next to her, there's a worship altar going on, and then there's like uh, hor like statues of horses in their uh, this display of might. And then there's the beautiful uh, uh, temples and palaces in the background. In other words, all, all, all these things were going on. Uh, all kinds of things were going on. There was a power in display. There was wealth in display, right? There was opulence. 
ex extravagance, like luxury. There's, ex there's the practice of hedonism where people just live for pleasure, right? And there's also alongside that the people living just for wisdom. They were the Stoics philosophers. The, they were the Epicurean philosophers. All these things where they, they found their space in this in this huge empire. Another thing that would uh, be relevant to our text for today is that there was also the worship, not worship, astrology, the observation of stars and planets to determine your destiny or your to foretell your future. Astrology was also being practiced in this in this time and age. And so all these things were going on. And in the midst of all this, Christians were scattered and they were living and they were exposed to all these cultures and backgrounds. And what was interesting about Christians was that they refused allegiance to this way of life. They refused to worship the multiple gods that were uh, erected in in the Roman pantheon, the, the, the range of gods. They refused to worship in the imperial religion. They re refused to worship the, the Roman Empire emperor as their god, right? Uh, they refused to ascribe divinity to them. And generally speaking, they were disobedient to this social order, social structure, and the authority. And they abandoned the traditional Roman worship or traditional Roman religion to live in a new way of living, which is the Christian way of living. And so they were they were misunderstood, as I mentioned last week. They were... Uh, there were rumors that Christians were involved in magic and sorcery or they were they practiced cannibalism and all kinds of rumors were flying around about Christians. And, and in this context, Christians were uh, humiliated and then persecuted as we did in the book of Acts. And of course, in, by, by 64 AD, Roman emperors started actively persecuting Christians. So this is the context, in other words, that James was written. And the, the book of James, the, the readers of the book of James, the, the first readers of the book of James were located in. Now, when Christians experience persecution, when ex-Christians experience trials and difficulties, what did they do? And it seems to me that as, as I read the book, of the, chap, the first chapter of James, it seems to me that there was a temptation for Christians to appeal to riches and wealth and power in order to get, get rid of trials and difficulties or in order to escape persecution. So there's, there's a tendency for Christians to appeal to authority, to wealth and to power. In other words, to the rich and the powerful so that they can escape persecution. Or there, there's tendency to appeal to the old gods that they used to worship, the imperial religion that the um, uh, the empire was worshiping, or to astrology, to looking at stars, or to looking at horoscopes, for example. There was a temptation for Christians to turn to these things instead of trusting in God. To live like everybody else, to pursue their selfish lives like they used to before, instead of living for one another, just like we saw in Acts. In the book of Acts, um, uh, the writer Luke tells us that Christians would sell their possession and give to those who are in need. When they face persecution, when they face difficulty, Christians were tempted to give up that kind of life where they live for one another and to seek their own pursuit in their own life. 
And I think it is in this context that James chapter 1, we, we can read James chapter 1. This appeal of James to trust in God and to respond by trusting in God's faithfulness and goodness. So let me, let me, uh, let's just go on and read um, James chapter 1 verse 9 onwards. James says, and this is from the NIV, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls, flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is a powerful critique of the rich and wealthy. The, the power, the, the, a powerful critique of trusting in riches and in wealth. Right? James is pointing out that it's not worth trusting in material wealth and in power. And here he invites us to meditate on the finitude and the, the brevity, so they say, of this life. The ultimate pointlessness of living for wealth and living for power. And of course, uh, I, have to ad- I have to admit, as I was reading this text, I felt this was really blunt of James to put it like this, right? That this life will pass away like the grass, uh, beauty will pass away, power will pass away, wealth and glory will pass away. Uh, of course, that is the trademark of James. He's very blunt. He's very straightforward. But here James is saying, do not trust in riches and in wealth. And what's remarkable about verse 10 is that he's saying, uh, verse 9 and 10 is that he's saying, let the poor, pers- let the poor person boast in his exaltation. And let the rich person boast in his humiliation. It makes me think, how can the rich boast in humiliation, right? How can the poor boast in their poverty? And I realized that the only way that the rich can boast in their humiliation and the poor can boast in their poverty is only when they are sure of what they have. Only when they're sure that they have something better they have a better end result or they have a guarantee of something greater than what they currently have. I think it was the missionary Jim Elliot who said, he is not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think that's what James is saying here. It's, it's no point holding on to what we cannot keep, riches and power and even beauty and glory are things that we cannot keep forever. And there's no point living for that. Instead of that, what is worth is to live for something that we cannot lose, something that will not fade away. So James is saying that when you, when Christians go through uh, persecution or trials and difficulties, Christians should not be sour-spirited and bitter or envious of those who are wealthy and powerful. Instead, James is saying, if you are rich, give away, share, and help the, those who are in need. And in that way, boast in that humiliation that you are giving away, you're losing. Boast in the fact that you're losing so that others can gain. And if you're poor, boast in the fact that you are rich in Christ. You're already rich in Christ. And your exaltation, 
when your trials have been completed, your exaltation is promised, it's sure. Because everything else will fade like the flower. Beauty, power, wealth, strength, abilities, all these things cannot save you. The closing line of verse 11. The rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuit. I thought this was such a, a, a poignant um, way of putting it. Because that, that's what uh, living for wealth is like. It's endless pursuit. Like ever pursuing, never finding home. There's always something more to pursue. There's always something more, always something more. And life fades away. Life slips away in, that, in the midst of that pursuit. Instead of that, James tells us to be steadfast, to, to be firm in God, to trust in God firmly, to stand and be steadfast in God. James says, it is stupid to run after wealth and riches. It is stupid because that, those things cannot save us. Let's keep going. In, in verse 13, James says, let no one say he is tempted. When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is tackling here another question. And the question is this, when we go through trials and difficulties, um, Christians, people who believe in God, there's a temptation for us to question whether God is, God does God really love us? Is God really with us? Or is God trying to uh, make me fall, right? And James is saying, it's not like God is playing with us. God is not tempting us. God is not desiring that we should fall or we should fail. James is telling the Christians that God is not like the Greek gods in the Greek mythology who are known to play uh, human affairs and human history like they're playing chess for their own entertainment. James is saying that God is not like that. God is not trying to bring us down. He's not tempting us. God has not forgotten us. We can trust God to do good for us. So one of the consequences um, of not trusting in God is that, as I mentioned earlier, Christians would turn to astrology. They would turn to the stars and looking at planetary, um, you know, movements of the planetary bodies, uh, and they would try to understand their fate or their destiny. Right? The concept comes from the uh, the concept comes from the idea that our fate is written in the stars, right? Uh, and that there's life is uh, there's a fatalistic perspective to life that things are already decided, and we just need to read the stars in order to understand where our life is going. We, we can find solace by studying the stars and getting directions from the stars. James is completely against such an idea. He says, why would you worship the stars? Why would you look at the stars when you can go to the one who created the stars? The one who, cre the one who is creator, right? And James is saying that uh, that comes from a lack of faith in God. From... Um, from falsely believing that God has forsaken us and that we should find our own way. We should go and look for quick, instant relief. In a sense, people who go to astrology, Christians who would go to astrology and uh, horoscopes are like, uh, essentially what they're doing is they're saying, why should we wait for God who is silent to us 
when we can pay a few couple of pounds and get some definite answers for us, right? Easy answers, quick answers. And th that's essentially what Christians were tempted to do, that they were tempted to go and find easy answers or easy resolutions. James is saying that that's, that would be a stupid thing to do because these things are unfaithful. They are always shifting. The stars are always shifting. Sometimes you can see them. Sometimes when there's cloud, you cannot see them. I mean, it's such a basic thing, but these are sh there's always shadow and shifting. Uh, these are things that you cannot trust. Instead of that, trust in God. Turn to God. Because God is the one, as we see in, as he uh, says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's saying here, God is the father of lights, the one who created the stars, the one who created the planets. Unlike these horoscopes and astrological things, there's no variation, there's no change. He's consistent. He's constantly good to us. God is the one who gives good gifts to his people. He is the father of lights. He is not subject to emotions and moods or changing opinions. He is consistently good to us. And he reminds us, as we saw in the previous verse, that God, it is not God that leads us to sin. Rather, it is our sinful desires for quick fixes, sinful desires to fend for ourselves, to be selfish, that makes us resort to pursuit of wealth and power, to astrology, to quick fixes, rather than trusting in God. So it is our sinful desires that lead us to sin, and sin eventually leads to death. That is such a contrast to who God is, because God gives us good things, and His will, as it says in verse 18, is that His will is that we can become the kind of first fruits of His creation, of goodness, of blessedness. So, to put it very simply, and in summary, uh, James is saying that it is our lack of faith that leads us to our sinful desires. And we can include indulgence, selfishness, corruption, abuse. These things are, 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 are the result of our sinful desires. And these, these sinful desires will lead to death. And that's far from the kind of resolution that we want in our life. We want what is good. We want what is blessedness. And only God can give us that. So both uh, James is telling the early Christians, early first century Christians, that appealing to the rich, to the wealthy, to the powerful, and appealing to astrology and to the stars demonstrates a lack of faith in God. Not believing that God is faithful, that He will deliver what He has promised. And also not believing that God is good, that somehow we have to fend for ourselves instead of trusting in God's goodness. So that we have to fight our own battles because God is not, it's uh, as though God will not fight for us, as though God will not con consider what is best for us. James is reminding us, and I think the, the text reminds us as well, why should we turn to other things, whether it's wealth or power or riches or uh, astrology or you fill in the blanks with anything? Why should we turn to them when we can trust in our Creator? Why should we go about 
not sure of our life and throwing our lives at the mercy of these things when we can talk to the Father. It's not like these things can save us. They, they cannot save themselves uh, even. They, they run about in their pursuits and they will fade away. But we can trust in God. We can remain steadfast and we can remain uh, in faith in Him because He will not. He is always going to be faithful to us. So he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God's plan is that we will be made complete and we will be the first fruits or the prototype of his creation. So let us remain steadfast in when we go through trials in our faith. Um, the faithfulness and the goodness of God means that he will see us through. Uh, I've got the Psalm 16. Uh, I wonder if uh, we can read this together uh, wherever you are. You don't need to uh, unmute or anything, but this is uh, a Psalm of David and it's a liturgical Psalm and I think it uh, captures the essence of today's text. So I would like to invite us to read. There are 11 verses um, and let us read this together. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom all is my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen.